Okay. Brilliant. So this is the part of the service that we're going to open up the Bible. And uh, we have been going through the parables of Jesus. Uh, so we've been journeying through that for seven, seven weeks, I'm going to say, conf- not so confidently. And uh, we're on to the last one this week. We're on to uh, our last parable. And we've called this series, The Keys to the Kingdom. So uh, these stories, hopefully as you've, you, as you've uh, journeyed through with us, uh, you'll have seen that this, the stories that Jesus have told, uh, had told, they pack quite a punch. They pack quite a punch and they, they challenge. And a lot of them, although they might seem quite simple uh, at the beginning, at first glance, they carry an incredible depth to them and uh, a depth and meaning to them. So today it's the parable of the persistent widow. And we're going to be reading from Luke 18. And we're going to start at verse 1. And uh, hopefully the words are going to be on the screen as well. Uh, behind me. I'll move. I'm always aware. I say the words will be on the screen and then I stand right in front of the screen. So I'll move across to the side. And why don't we pray before we read from God's word? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing all of us here this morning. Thank you that you are, are, are here. And we pray, Lord, as we unpack your word, you will meet us where we're at, Lord, that we'll be reminded of your goodness. We'll remember how good you are. We'll remember that you never leave us. And we open our hearts afresh, Lord. We give you our struggles. We give you our dreams. We give you our stresses. We give you the things that we've got question marks next to. We give you the unknown. We give you the things that we've never spoken to anybody else about and we put them into your hands and we say, would you speak as we read your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So starting at verse one, and we'll be reading to verse eight. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom? Is that the right? No, that's wrong. Oh dear. I've got the wrong book. How embarrassing is that? We're going to rewind. I'm in Matthew 18. Dear, dear, dear. We're going to edit that out of the recording. (laughs) Let's start again. Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. Amen. So this is the story of the persistent widow. And I'd like to just as we start off and unpack this passage, I'd like to say that I feel that this is more than a story of persistence. And we're going to journey through the different characters in this parable. 
Uh, I've been reading a lot of books lately, and I used to read loads when I was younger. And I don't know about you guys, but I think the pressures of technology and having phones and scrolling through your phones, I haven't been reading half as much. Is anybody else on that, on that boat and feeling that? So I made a determined choice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading a bit more. Instead of looking at my phone, I'm going to have a book, you know, in the living room. Instead of watching telly, I'll read a wee chapter. And I've been reading a great book, rereading a great book by a man called Bob Goff uh, called Love Does. And it's lots of little stories, uh, personal accounts by this guy called Bob, and basically how to love well, how to love radically, and how to live like Jesus. And one chapter is the story of Bob uh, trying to get into law school. So he had failed his exam, and the reason why he'd failed his exam into law school was because he only had bought an $8 law book. And everyone else was going and getting tutors and getting really intense studying and buying the biggest books and just divulging all the info. And he had this $8 law book. He studied it well, went for the exam, but ended up failing. And he wanted to be a lawyer. He saw everybody else get in and he met the dean of the college. He met the dean of the college. He lined up a meeting and he said to him, I want to be a lawyer. I want to help people. That's what I feel I'm to do in my life. And all you've got to do is say a couple of words. All you've got to do is say a couple of words. Go buy your books. That's all I need to hear. And I'll go buy my books. And I will do the best I can. And I will become the best lawyer. The dean laughed at him and led him out the room, gave him a tap on the shoulder and said, you'll need to to reapply in a couple of years' time. Go and learn. Uh, And it was one week until law school started. Now, there was a bench outside the dean's office. And Bob saw it as an opportunity I could sit outside that bench and every time I see the dean, I will say to him, all you need to say is go buy your books. So he he did that day in, day out. Every day he sat on that bench and every time that the dean passed by, he would say, all you need to do is say, go buy your books, go buy your books. And he began to learn the movements of, of this man when he went for his lunch, when he went for his coffee break, when he lined up his meetings, when he went to the gym, when he started work, when he finished work. And it got to the day of law school starting. So he got up and he thought, this is the day. He's going to say yes. He's going to give in. And he saw the dean maybe four times during that day. Every time he walked past him. Every time he walked past him. Got to day one, day two, day three. Law school has started. He's now starting to think all the stuff I need to catch up on. Got to day four. And the dean's schedule has an interruption. And he sees him approach him and he's like, he shouldn't be doing this. He should be going for his coffee right about now. Towers over him. And he looks up to him and he gives him a wink. And he says, go buy your books. Go buy your books. And he ends up becoming a lawyer. And that's part of it. Such a great story. Such a great story. And that book, uh, Love Does, has a great line in it. And it says this. Maybe there are times when we think a door has been closed. And instead of misinterpreting the circumstances, God wants us to kick it down. Or perhaps sit outside long enough until someone tells us we can come in. We don't need to go far to hear stories of persistence. That's just one example. Let me give you a couple other great stories of persistence, all with varying importance, may I add. There's a doctor called Dr. Donald Unger who cracked his knuckles on his left hand twice a day, every day, for 50 years to see if it caused arthritis. Now that's a pet hate of mine. I don't know, but when I hear knuckles crunch, I'm like, ah, I squirm. Uh, how many people think it does cause arthritis? Show of hands. Two people. 
Well, I'm not going to tell. No, I will tell you. Uh, it actually doesn't cause arthritis. And he ended up getting a Nobel Prize for that as well. So he was cracking his knuckles twice a day, every day for 50 years. There's the story of Derek Redmond, Olympic 400 meters runner, runner in the 1992 Olympics. He was leading the race and his hamstring snapped. Officials ran onto the, the race course to help him. He pushed them away. He vowed to carry on. And there's this iconic scene of his dad coming onto the race course. And you, you, you can Google it. A lot of us, I'm sure, have seen that image of him just wrapping his arms around and walking to finish, or hobbling, dragging to finish across the race line. An emotional picture. Or there's the tale of a donkey who fell into a well. And whatever the farmers done, they couldn't get this donkey out of the well. So they decided to cut their losses and bury the donkey. So they got a big pile of soil. They got a big pile of soil and they started pouring in the soil. But the donkey kind of stumbled upon a solution. With every pile of soil, it would flatten it down and it would get a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And eventually the donkey managed to get out of the well. And finally, the constant cries of biscuit, biscuit from my two boys in the afternoon when every distraction tactic fails. And you know that the humble custard cream is going to give you 10 minutes of respite, 10 minutes for a breather to recharge the batteries. Their persistence in that. Yeah, you can have a custard cream. You know, persistence in prayer is so important. If a judge who didn't care about breakthrough for a widow eventually give her justice, how much more will God who loves us give us when we persist. And it's also about our persistence in growing our relationship with God. That when we get yes, when we get no, when we get wait, that there are reasons bigger than our immediate cries. There are hearts being shaped. He shapes our hearts and lives being changed in the persistence as well as those instant moments where we see breakthrough. But I also think, as well as unpacking persistence in this parable, it says in verse 1, we are told to always pray and not give up. Jesus is telling these vivid stories to challenge the heart and that there's far more in this parable for us today. I felt God, as I was looking at this passage, wanting to ask us, who do we play in the story? Who do we play in the story? Right now in how we live, who do we relate to? The judge or the widow? I want to look at the judge and the widow this morning in relation to living lives that are, are making moves in God's kingdom and how these few verses can challenge us and inspire us into the week ahead. So firstly, the judge. The judge is on a me mission. The next month or so is quite a busy month for us. We have a lot of birthdays in the Urquhart household, which is great. And uh, birthdays are a chance to celebrate me. You know, my birthday is a chance to celebrate me and to make the day about me. And having a, uh, being a father to two young kids, I'm going to milk it a little bit, I've got to be honest. So little things like this, I will try to have a lie-in. That is the holy grail. Anything past half seven and I'm doing well. And if I ever have a conversation with anybody here who sleeps past half seven, my opinion of you might change. No, <laughs> but that would be a great thing, a little lie-in. Also, my choice of breakfast, having my special breakfast, a couple of pancakes, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of sugar. Keep it simple, but love some pancakes. 
presents, choosing the coffee shop that we can go to in the afternoon, choosing the restaurant, choosing the movie in the evening. It's all about me. And then the next day, reality hits with a thud. And uh, that's not how we are to live, is it? Every day like that. We see the judge in verse 2. It says he didn't fear God or what people thought. Now, in this time, Rome would appoint local magistrates and village judges to look after the interests of Caesar. The worst, uh, these people, these judges were the worst of all people. They were lacking in morals. They had big salaries. They became a judge. He became a judge because he loved the status and the money. Not because he loved justice. A judge is meant to give justice according to the law of God and to the needs of people. And he was doing neither. This man was doing neither. He was on a me mission. What can I gain? What's in it for me? How can I build my empire? How can I make myself secure? What do I get in return? So the judge was on a me mission. Secondly, the judge can't see the struggle. Because he is so self-obsessed, he just can't see the struggle of this widow in the parable. And he can't see that he has the power. He holds the solution in his hands. It says in verse 4, for some time he refused. For some time he refused. Time and time again the widow would come. And he, he just could not see the struggle. Commentators, if you have a wee look deeper into this passage... They stress the utter lostness that this widow was in. Her husband had passed away. She had no other man in her life to represent her. At that time, it would be a man who would go before the judge. There was nobody. There was no family. So she was appealing to the judge all by herself. There was no one else to plead her case. And that alone should have been obvious to the judge. But it doesn't even touch his heart. She is desperate, she is deprived, she is lowly, unknown, unloved, and powerless. He has a job that could bring hope, that could change her life, bring justice, but he can't see the struggle. His heart is hardened. I've been thinking a lot about that point, the fact that the judge couldn't see the struggle. And I think that is a journey for a lot of us as we enter, as we head out to our weeks, as we head out to our own lives about seeing what other people are going through and asking God, where do we help? And often it's when we go through something really awful and challenging ourselves that allows us to remember and to be a blessing to others. Uh, this week, I, I was driving home with our, our boys. We were heading back to the house. My wife, Mary, was working and we got to the second last roundabout before our house and the clutch broke completely. So the clutch went completely down. It wouldn't lift up. And it was quite scary. I was like, I can't change the gear. So I got the warning lights on, turned, it was on the road. And it was on the, I think it's called the South Distributor Road, that big long road that takes you all the way to inches. It's a busy road, eh? So I was broken down, holding up all this traffic. Had to take the boys out, didn't want to keep them in the car, obviously. So we're on this grass mound. It's holding Joshua. The sun was out. I was sweating. I was waiting on Mary's dad to come and collect the boys so I could wait eh, for the AA to come. And it's the first time that I've, I've broken down and it's all eyes on you, isn't it? You see absolutely everybody just having a wee look as they're driving past and 
Uh, but I had my faith restored in that moment. I was waiting for about an hour and 15 minutes and uh, I had so many random folks stop and ask if I was okay, uh, checking, if, checking on me, seeing if there was anything that they could do to help. And you know, and I had a few church folk as well who had passed as well and just checked and stopped and come and chatted and, and made sure I was okay. And you know what, as I reflect on that, I hazard a guess at saying that those people, those random people, they felt what I felt in that moment, that they had broken down and someone came and helped them. They'd been there, they felt exactly what I felt. But there was also loads that drove past without giving it a thought. But I don't know about you, but I want to see the struggles. I want to get alongside people and see if there's anything that I can do to help. We have all struggled in life at some point through loads of different things. And we must, as people who love Jesus, love people too. And often our stories, what God has taken us to this point, are to be used to bring breakthrough to others. To get alongside them and to keep our hearts soft to people's situations. It's not when we we hear people's stories and people's struggles that we say, it's their own fault. They made their bed so they can lie in it. Or I helped them before and here we are again. Or somebody else will deal with them. I'm quite busy just now. Or there's nothing I can do really. That's not being Jesus. That's not being the local church. But it's stepping out and being that bit of hope. So for Inverness, for this city, for this region, it's perhaps the beggar that we see on the high street. It's perhaps the mum that we see crying in the shopping queue. It's perhaps the person whose car's broken down. It's the charity collection. It's the storehouse bin. I've been asking God through all this and seeing the hardened heart of the judge, that simple prayer, and we sung it this morning, which I feel is no coincidence, break my heart for what breaks yours. What a prayer that is. What a prayer that is. And then thirdly, the solution doesn't come easy. The solution doesn't come easy to the judge. To labor on verse four, it says, for some time he refused. And then eventually breakthrough for the widow comes. It says this, even though I, the judge says this, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. My initial reaction to that was like, wow, that's pretty, you know, the, the, the widow's going for it there, you know, he's, he's fearing, he's scared. It took to the point of the judge being nearly beaten up for him to act. But what is also striking about that verse is that there was no heart shift in the judge. It says, well, it was the fear of harm that made him act. He still doesn't fear God and he still doesn't care what people think. And again, this links to the previous point that he can't see the struggle, but he has to be brought to a place of fear of a beating to bring the solution until he is at risk, until it impacts and infringes on him, he then acts. Just another sign of a selfish heart. And it's so easy, isn't it, to slip into that mentality of of that selfishness where we let stuff pass by. It was incredibly humbling. Uh, A couple of weeks back, I dropped back all the food that we've collected to Hilton Community Centre. And they have a little area where people can come in, grab a tea and coffee, 
uh, while the food has been put into bags for them to be sent out. And the lady, also, honestly, she was like singing and she was dancing. She was so happy to see me. It was, she was just so encouraged because uh, in the Inverness Courier, I mentioned last week, there's an extreme shortage of food just now for people requiring food banks. There's a real desperate need for that. And you know, I had a, a moment where I, I really thought of the reality of what has been put in here and given out. That these tins and cereals are being laid out on people's tables that have no way of getting there by their own means. In our city. That can't be right. And it's important as the local church that we feel the reality and the weight of that. That the injustice of that. And we do something about it that our hearts shift and it's not that, oh, Thomas has been saying, buy some extra tins. He's been saying it for six weeks in a row. I better put my bag in so maybe there'll be one week he won't mention it. But actually, this is a blessing to a family who have got into debt problems and see no way out, but were able to provide some meals. But there's a couple in this city and somebody's lost, one of them have lost their job and they don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. That there are recovering addicts that are trying to piece their lives together that we can just bring that little piece of the jigsaw to help them get back up on their feet. There's a next door neighbor. Nobody knows that they don't have enough money for the rest of the month. So we know what the need is. We see the solution. We don't delay. We don't delay. That we quicken the action, that we react, that we go it's similar to when we looked at the parable of the, the talents last week. We see the men, when they received the gifts, when they received the gold, they went at once. We spoke about that phrase, they went at once. We have to react, we have to go. So what is God asking of us this morning? So that's the judge. And then we have the widow. Then we have the widow. We see, first of all, that she didn't accept the situation that she found herself in. In verse 3 it says, A widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. One of my favourite films is Shawshank Redemption. Is, I'm sure everybody, is there anybody that hasn't seen the Shawshank Redemption? One person. Okay, I'll try not to give it away. It's a great film, you need to get it. I don't know if it's on Netflix. I'm sure one of us will have it to let you borrow it. It's my, all, one of my, I think it's in my top three all-time favorite films. Uh, it's about a man called Andy Dufresne, a wrongly imprisoned, and he was there for years in this prison. And it charts his, charts his story in prison through the ups and downs. It's real, really gritty, and it's a real battle for this man. But the overlying theme of this story is he doesn't accept his situation. He could have been in prison for the rest of his life, but knowing uh, he was the victim of an injustice. It gets to the end of the film and he finds a way out of that. And I understand the legal implications of that. But in terms of the overarching picture that I want to paint for us this morning is that we don't worship a God who desires us to live with the cards that we've been dealt with, with the struggles that we have. It's tragic that when we begin to accept in our lives or hear other people having an air of acceptance of something that is not of God, that's part of their lives. That is not the God that we worship. It says in the NIV version, 
for this parable, she kept going. The message version says she kept after him. The widow always had the judge in her sights. Just like Bob Goff always had that dean, that guy to get into law school in his sights. He knew the dean's every move. He was going to be a lawyer. The widow knew where the judge was. She was going to get justice. And that's a faith moment. That's a moment to, be stand, to stand up and be counted and to believe for breakthrough. And one of my favorite verses is Ephesians 3.20, where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we, all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. I wonder what we have accepted that we need to bring to God afresh to contend this morning. Maybe it's family members who have drifted from Jesus. Maybe it's friends who are ill. Maybe it's our job situation. Maybe it's an illness that we have. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it's addictions that we have. Can I urge us not to be accepting those kind of situations, but invite God afresh into that? So she didn't accept the situation. And then secondly, her perseverance brought growth. You know, I believe something was happening in that moment as the widow kept coming back to the judge time and time and time again. And I think it was more than her just being present in that time. I think she was growing. In verse 5, we have that line, so she won't eventually come and attack me. She was growing in the waiting. It was no longer manageable for the judge. A lowly widow, and nobody was proving too much for a rich, powerful judge. She was carrying more of a presence. She was growing. She was becoming a threat to the judge. You know, sometimes we don't understand why there's a delay in God bringing answers to prayer and breakthrough in situations. And sometimes we'll never know until we get to heaven. But often it's to grow us, it's to shape our hearts, it's to reshape our relationship with God. And often that involves the focus being taken away from us so that we can rely on God and have a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. Pete Gregg, who is one of the founders of the 24-7 prayer movement, in his book, his brilliant book called God on Mute, he says this, I asked for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing I asked for, all that I hoped for. My prayer was answered. I was most blessed. God has a plan. God has a plan. There's maybe a few of us this morning who are feeling weary, 
who've been praying the same prayer again and again and again and again. Can I encourage us this morning? God has a plan. God has a plan. Bring it afresh to him this morning. We would love to pray alongside you. We're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to do that. So as a result, at looking at the judge and the widow, I'd love to look at just some practical prayers that we could be looking to bring to God to the week ahead. And we'll keep this slide up, so maybe you'd like to take a wee picture of it uh, for the week ahead as we pray. And in terms of persistence in prayer, I'd love us to be a, a group of people that grow healthy habits. Things like setting a wee alarm to pray. Sometimes I do that. I set a wee alarm if I'm specifically praying for something instead of alarms to get up, alarms to pray, if we're able to do that through our weeks. Also, Rick Warren, who's a pastor in America, speaks of bullet prayers. And what he means by that is he means that when stuff comes into our mind, we pray it. We pray it right away. If somebody comes into our mind, oh, I just pray for that person right now, whatever they're doing. If we're thinking of that friend that's ill, instead of thinking, we just pray right there and then. If we're in a, a situation at work and we're stressing right now, we pray. So to remember that, that builds a healthy prayer life. Also, use fridges, use showers, use brushing your teeth, use things that come every single day, that we do every single day, and add in prayer into that rhythm, into that routine, and allow God to, to meet us in that. Share with somebody the one or two things that we're praying for breakthrough, and pray together. Have a list of people to pray for. Go for a coffee yourself. And pray for friends and text them what God is telling you. So just a few things that I'd love us to pray this week. Let us see beyond ourselves and remember who you are. As we, as we sung, break our hearts for what breaks yours. But also to remember how big God is. I've been uh, going through a book called Meeting God in Scriptures. And it goes back to... a. a a practice called Lectio Divina, which is a, it's looking deeper into the Bible, reflecting and, all, and meditating on scriptures and, and rereading it and asking God, what are you saying to me about uh, this? I'd, I'd thoroughly encourage you uh, to look at that if some, perhaps your Bible reading is feeling a little bit dry. And uh, after this week, yesterday I sat down and I went through one of the, the sessions on that and it was extremely powerful. And I just want to share it with us uh, as we bring things to a close. It was speaking about uh, the, the classic wedding verse in 1 Corinthians when it speaks about love is patient. But before that, it said about the verse in 1 John 4, 16, where it says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So I read that passage, I reflected on that, and then it went into this Corinthians passage. But then it said, why don't you substitute, because God is love, substitute the, the word love for God in this Corinthians passage. And this is what it says. So it's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. God never fails. 
What a great reminder at looking at who God is. So let me see beyond me and look to you. Secondly, so show us the solutions and what we've been given. So help us to see where the need is and where we're to be used with what's in our hands. Thirdly, help us not to settle. I hate in game shows, I love watching game shows now and again. I was a classic Who Wants to Be a Millionaire fan. And I used to hate at the beginning where the contestant would say, well, I came here with nothing, so I'm quite happy to leave with nothing. And you're secretly going, that's a load of rubbish. You want that 20 grand. You know exactly how you're spending it. But we cannot be like that when we come into church. I came here carrying that. I'm quite happy to leave with that. Let's not settle. Let's not accept the way it is. Let's contend as the widow did. Let's pray prayers where we say, God, come in power. Come into the unanswered. We're wanting breakthrough. I pray for that person. I pray for this illness. I pray for that family situation. I pray for that job. I pray for that pain. So help us not to settle. And then just finally, come Holy Spirit. We need God's Spirit in us. We leak as we go about our weeks. We need to be constantly praying, fill us, Holy Spirit. Reveal to us what we have to lay down, what we have to grow. Stir in us a heart for people and help us never give up when it's difficult. Why don't we stand?